Welcome to Screen Cleaning here on BYU Radio, the show that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson, and today I've got a very special guest here with me. He goes by the name of Rod Gustafson. Rod, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. I'm glad to be here for Screen Cleaning. You know, it's <laughs> spring, Jeff. I got my screens cleaned this weekend. Spring screen yeah. cleaning. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Rod is a frequent contributor here on Screen Cleaning, and he's a member of our BYU broadcasting family. And Rod, boy, oh boy, is there a lot of news on the show today, which is what we always start off the show doing by giving you the very best over the last week in entertainment news. And we've got some monster news here for you. (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong. This big movie that, you know, the, the movie that preceded it, I don't remember it doing all that well. And yet, if you release it during a pandemic and have a simultaneous release on HBO Max <laughs> and the movie theaters and worldwide, and really not having any other options in the movie theater probably helped too. But even during a pandemic, it has now become the biggest opening during the pandemic. It's yeah. got uh, $350 million worldwide. And it's also the largest viewing audience on the HBO HBO uh, Max platform since the initial launch. So it's doing quite well. And you can bet even studio executives outside of Warner, HBO, are probably having parties this week watching oh, yeah. this. Because they're thinking, we can do Socially this. Socially distanced, of course, this. with yes. masks, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my Just goodness. amazing to see this coming in this way. Yep. So this is the type of movie that, to me, seems to do okay over here normally, but overseas, you know, it does quite well. But you brought up an interesting point that uh, Godzilla versus Kong <laughs> in China was not actually the biggest movie release over there, right? There's, there's a little Chinese film called Sister. It's the story of a young girl who's forced to sacrifice her big city independence to raise her little brother after her parents are killed in a car accident. And it has knocked over Godzilla and uh, <laughs> in China. And uh, I can't remember exactly, but it's well into, I think the first weekend it was making, I think the first week it was making somewhere around 50 million U.S. dollars or something. I mean, wow. it was significant, significant money. And the budget for Sister is about 5 million U.S. dollars. See, now how come more movies like that aren't made here in the States that make these monster blockbuster numbers? Mm, we're going we're, we're to bring one up in a few minutes, I think. Oh. If, I, if I'm reading your news correctly. <laughs> All right, we'll see about that. You know, some other big news. This is news that I feel like this is a little carrot that gets dangled in front of our noses every few years or so. Now I'm hungry. (laughs) For carrots, interesting. (laughs) I don't think I've ever craved carrots. Only just, you know, when you get those little little mansure ones, you put a little butter on them and you get a little Ooh, bit of sugar. Brown in the sugar. Oven. Uh-huh, there uh-huh. you go. Okay. Down I'm that right rabbit hole. You. Ooh, rabbit hole. Well, carrots. let me dangle yeah, this little carrot in front of you. Uh, Indiana Jones Part 5. Again, we've been— Seriously? We've been told this movie is going to come out in 2020, 2021, and now 2022. But this time they're announcing—they're uh, giving us a little more piece of that carrot— and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, 
who is just everywhere right now and doing mm-hmm. quite well for herself, she's joining the cast of the fifth Indiana Jones movie. I can't imagine who she might be playing. I don't know if she'd be playing yeah. the villain or maybe his daughter. I don't know. But John Williams, bless him, is coming back to do the score for the fifth time. I wonder who's older, John Williams or Harrison Ford? Oh, it's got to be John Williams. Yeah, I would uh, think so. Avery, yeah. I, we got to yeah. we got to get you to look that up for us. I, I'm putting carrot money on yeah, John, uh, Williams. John Williams. Yeah. Rod's going to put carrot money on Harrison yeah, Ford. Yeah, okay. I'll buy the carrots. Who's more grizzled? That might be a totally different <laughs> question, though. And I'd probably have to go with uh, Harrison Ford on that one. Uh, yeah, grizzled. That kind of means... <laughs> Old but tough, right? And when you land a plane in the middle of who knows where, California, and walk away a golf Landing course. Landing is a is yeah. a relative term, when right? You, yeah. 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 Anyway, the other word? <laughs> we, we don't need to pick on Harrison Ford anymore. But, Avery, when you've got that number, we'll see who owes whom carrots. Yeah. yeah. John Williams is 89 years old. John, John William, 89. And Harrison Ford, 78. Yes. Ooh, Harrison yeah. Ford, 78. Yeah. I knew it. 89, and he's still 89. scoring movies. Good yeah. for him. That's why, well, he's I don't gunning want to be for scoring that, movies. But, gunning yeah. for that 20th Oscar. I'm Wouldn't not sure. would be great to be able to enjoy your work that much and be able to work that late in life. That's why I'm gunning for Oh, yeah, for, it. for sure. Yeah. So some big streaming news, and I mean big streaming news, because Sony has recently signed a streaming deal with Netflix, meaning mm. Netflix is going to be able to show all those Sony movies so watch out, Adam Sandler fans. I don't know why I went there first, but also I could have gone to any number of the Spider-Man movies yep. that have come out, and that's going to be huge yeah, for them. That really will. And I know Disney Plus would love to get their hands on those Spider-Man movies. Probably a Spider-Man good move. Movies. <laughs> probably a good move for Sony because they're the only major that doesn't have their own platform right now, major studio. Sure. And, uh, you know, when I look at, like, for instance, I don't know if you had CBS All Access, now it's Paramount Plus. And, I do. And, I mean, you know, really seriously, I'm in that party for Star Trek. But then when they added the Paramount movies, I'm looking at it and thinking, gosh, like, I thought there'd be more here. Mission Impossible, Godfather, those are some big ones. Maybe the problem is I've already watched them all. Interesting. So you're in it for Star Trek. I'm in it for Star Trek. I'm in it because I got the 50% discount and I got the commercial free option, not to sound all hoity-toity. Look at you. But uh, I'm mainly in it for a couple of the Nickelodeon shows. They've got a lot of the old Nickelodeon shows from my childhood. So I've been I've been introducing my kids to some of the shows that they're probably uh, way too young for. I don't know. You're the parent. You're the former parent previous guy, Rod. So you can tell me. But uh, there's this show called "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Mm. And my three year old is three? so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, I may have tipped my hat or tipped my hand there a little bit, but. He calls it – he doesn't know how to, what the name of the show is, so he just calls it Dark and You Frayed. Mm. Dark and You Frayed. I want to watch Dark and You Frayed. Are you teaching him how to use power tools too? Like <laughs> is that a Saturday morning thing? <laughs> hey, judgy much? No, but uh, it's – I I always prep them. I say, no, that one's too scary, which of course makes them want to watch it even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when they end up being a little scared of a particular episode, they're always asking for more. Jeff. I I have to remind you, the okay. studies indicate that in still, until a child is on average eight years old, 
they have a difficult time understanding the difference between fantasy and reality. Oh, there you boy. go. Just well, had to get that fine print in there. One of those three kids is nine years old. One of them is three. So it averages out to eight. Yeah. My math is correct there. <laughs> Um, no, even your math isn't <laughs> correct. But anyway. Anyway, I digress a little bit. Uh, we were talking about Netflix and we got talking to uh, talking about Paramount Plus. But um, let's talk about a couple of trailers that have come out. I don't know if you've seen this new trailer with Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. Two Academy Award nominated actresses, one of them won an Academy Award. And now they're playing what they're calling ordinary superheroes, these Regular Joe type women Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. get injected with this serum that turns them into these superheroes. And it kind of looks like a typical Melissa McCarthy movie to me. Got the kind of the same stock characters that show up in her movies. But I think that's good. That's an interesting message to to share with other young girls that you can you can be an ordinary person. You don't have to be you know, totally chiseled or you don't have to be young and, yeah. you know, and you can still do super things. Yeah, just get your COVID shot. Yeah. That explains why I was able to lift furniture That's this what they're being injected with in that yes, movie is the COVID-19 <laughs> vaccine. Sure, yeah. And then, of course, I think I think this is a long-awaited movie, Space Jam 2 mm. with LeBron James. And boy, oh boy, this looks like they put a lot of money into this movie And again, it's another one of those simultaneous HBO Max uh, theatrical releases that they're going for. And, I mean, if Godzilla versus Kong is any indicator, this movie could make a lot of money. I think Mm -hmm. it's one that people have been looking forward to for a long time. You got that nostalgia built up there. It looks a little edgier, though, than the first Space Jam. Yeah. My my biggest question, though, is Bill Murray going to make another cameo in Space mm. Jam 2? That's what I'm holding out hope for. Who's older, Bill Murray or never mind? <laughs> or Michael Jordan? <laughs> Bill Murray. Maybe Michael Jordan will show up, too. Who knows? He might. Uh, I want to take just a moment to talk about a movie that um, I, I kept expecting it to show up at Redbox, or I kept expecting to find it at a movie theater. But no, when they said... Wherever you rent movies, they truly meant that you're only going to be able to find Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar wherever you rent movies. So really? any, you know, Voodoo, uh, Apple. Oh, okay. Um, and right. even when it came out on Redbox, finally I thought, okay, I'm going to go and pay a dollar and rent the disc. Nope, you could only stream it on Redbox. Okay. So oh, my option was to right. spend six dollars to buy it on streaming. No, to rent it on streaming. Or to spend $10 and own it. So I chose to own it for $10. So it was written by and starring Kristen Wiig and her writing partner, Annie Mamulo. And apparently these are characters that they they originated elsewhere and now we're getting the big screen treatment or the, the mm. big TV screen treatment. And it's basically these two middle-aged Midwestern women who are the best of friends. They tell each other Everything they actually one they work at the same location and uh, the same furniture store, <laughs> and when one is working, the other will come and hang out with the other at work, even if they're not on the schedule. Sometimes they'll both show up at work, and neither one is scheduled to work. And uh, you, we meet them having a little chat on a couch that some customers are interested in, but that uh, they don't want to sell them because then they wouldn't have a place to sit and talk to each other. 
So their lives, you know, the most excitement they have is going to work and chatting on a, a used couch. And uh, the only other thing that they have in their lives is going to this talking group that basically had these very strict fight club-esque rules where if you don't abide, then you can't be in the club anymore. So if you show up late, you get locked out. And uh, if you lie, then you get kicked out of the club, which is where we find Barb and Star in this precarious situation because the topic of that night is let's talk about our jobs. And just so happens that their location, their branch of that store is being shut down, so they are no longer employed. Well, they run into an old friend who convinces them that they will have the time of their lives if they take the same vacation that she just got back from and go to Vista Del Mar in Florida. And so after a little hemming and hawing with a Midwestern accent, of course, they're off to Vista Del Mar and off for a magical, wonderful adventure. Little do they know that they're about to be caught up in this big villainous plot to kill all the people of Vista Del Mar with these <laughs> deadly wasps or mosquitoes. I can't remember which one it is. It's not that important because <laughs> it's just an excuse for Kristen Wiig to dress up as a different character and portray the villain. And uh, uh, Jamie Dornan of Fifty Shades fame shows up as the evil Kristen Wiig's uh, evil henchman, we'll say. And so, of course, when Barb and Star meet up with him, they fall head over heels. And so there's a little bit of competition over the Jamie Dornan character. And then, believe it or not, the Jamie Dornan character starts to fall for Kristen Wiig's star's character. So the plot's not really the important thing because it really is just an opportunity for these two very funny women to show off their comedic chops to put on these funny accents and to say the most ridiculous things ever. And if you're looking for a movie, I I went into this movie hoping that I would have an experience similar to Eurovision, where you just think to yourself, I've worked hard. All I want to do is turn off my brain and laugh at something really dumb. And if you go into the movie with that kind of an attitude, you're probably going to have a great time. I lost count of the number of times that my wife turned to me laughing at these ridiculous things that were being said. And now we own it. So we can always wow. – whenever we need that that dumb, mindless entertainment, we can just turn it on and have a good laugh. Your review had a surprise ending because <laughs> at the beginning, I'm thinking, oh, this sounds kind of interesting. And I noticed really surprising me, it's rated PG-13, not R. That's correct. So I thought, okay. Maybe I want to watch this. And then the longer you talked, the more I thought, this sounds like the dumbest thing I could ever imagine. <laughs> but then you told me you bought the movie. So now you got me interested. It's again, meant Jeff. to be dumb. If you okay. really want to, I'll let you borrow it. Uh, yeah. Just know that just because it's PG-13 doesn't mean it's going to be the squeaky oh, yeah. clean yeah. movie. That yeah. Well, compared but to Bridesmaids. Compared to Bridesmaids. Yeah. When you said Bridesmaids, I thought, well, you know, I don't even think I'll worry about this too much. But yeah, okay. And it's it's to, to – uh, not to spoil anything, it's kind of a semi-musical too. <laughs> They're just – it's one of those movies where randomly characters break out break into out song, song for no apparent reason. Hmm. But you don't complain because those are some of the funnier – Parts okay. Of the movie. All right. Barb anyway, and Star go to Vista Del Mar. All the right. gag that they had in the trailer that they didn't show in the movie, I was really disappointed. You find out in the trailer that her name is not so Barb is not short, or Barb is short for Barbara, and yes. you 
you think star is short for something. Star. And it's actually short for – no, Barb is not short for anything. It's just Barb. Okay. But star is okay. short for Starbra. Oh, so, yay. <laughs> that's the type of humor you're going to get in this movie. Starbra bystander. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so in other news, we're coming up on a really big – Date here when it comes to movies. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Oh, because, movies. Oh, okay. Not a I man. You're going to take me out for a burger. I, I don't or know something. that I'm ready to sit through Barb and Star again, but I'll <laughs> give it to you and let you watch it with your wife. Uh, she might not like you too much after you watch it with. <laughs> if you're the one that suggested it, the Academy Awards coming yes. up on Sunday, April 25th. An Academy Awards unlike any that we've ever seen, mm-hmm. right? Yes, because of all these COVID restrictions. They, last year, they just. Barely got those awards done oh, yeah. just before the whole world shut the door this on award of, shows. This year, of course, we have all these holdovers, movies that should have been released mm-hmm. late last year, but they were able to hold them off until February, March. Yep. Usually the dumping ground for yep. movies yep. now is kind of the prime time for movies that are award-nominated and that could take home some gold. Mm-hmm. And if the BAFTA Awards are any indication of what movies white might win big at the Academy Awards, uh-huh. then Nomadland could come out victorious. And on did April you 25th. remember that little tease I dropped earlier about five million dollar movies? Nomadland's budget. Now uh-huh. I've seen two budget numbers. I've seen five million and I've also heard it was under four million. So I don't know for sure. And I know a million bucks, five million dollars. Where'd that like budget a lot of go? Money. They're living out of, aren't they? Living out of these vans. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. But that is for people who aren't familiar with movie budgets. That is like buying a decent car for five hundred dollars. It really is. <laughs> so that's as a very low budget. And in fact, if it wins. I, obviously, you would have to correct for inflation because you could go back to probably 1938 and find a movie that won the Oscar for $3 million. But correcting for inflation, I wonder if this might be the cheapest movie ever to win an Oscar, maybe, or best picture. That'd be interesting. To win best picture. Obviously, foreign films, there's probably others. But for best sure. picture, this is amazing. And to backtrack just a little bit, if you're unfamiliar with the BAFTA Awards, it's the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. It's, it's basically a big the one. British Oscars, yes. right? And this is an American film yeah. winning that, that is, Oscar. That is huge. Well, uh, the BAFTA. Yeah. Yes. And it won uh, Best Picture. It won Best Director. It won Best Cinematography. Mm-hmm. So I, I would... I'm going to go out on a limb that and say I've always thought this was going to be the front runner and that the director would also win, yep. which would be huge because she is a a woman director of mm-hmm. Asian descent. Yes. So huge. Yep. Yep. Very it really is. history-making and year. It is my movie pick of the year, I might okay. add. And also at our at our awards, the Broadcast Film Critics Awards, we it took best picture in that as well. I'm calling so, it. Uh, yeah. I'm calling yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think it's got a very good chance. <laughs> so we've got the Oscars coming up next weekend, but this weekend there's a different award ceremony happening, and it's something called the Annie Awards. And I thought, you know, when I was unfamiliar with this, I thought, the sun will come out mm. tomorrow. No, I'm thinking Not Anne that of Green Annie. Gables. Come oh, on. Oh, you go to Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. Okay. Gee. Was that a Canadian production? Oh, or? funny you should bring that up. Yes, it was. <laughs> is. 
But this is a show that celebrates animated films. And so when we return, we actually want to spend some time talking about this award ceremony that we've never really talked about on the show before, as well as give you some of our favorite animated movies of all time, or at least some of the most impactful. And that's coming up next when we return here on Screen Cleaning. Don't you walk away. Don't you tell me that I don't. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, the show where we shine a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I've got a very special guest here today with me, and he goes by the name of Rod Gustafson. Rod, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for playing that swanky theme. (laughs) Well, Rod, before the break, you and I shared a ton of news. We started talking about the Academy Awards, but... Really, the award ceremony that we want to focus on on today's show is an award ceremony that's coming up this weekend and one that probably doesn't get the level of exposure that the Oscars might, right? Yes. Talking about the Annie Awards, of course. We've already established what it's not. It's not the Annie with Daddy Warbucks. It's not Anne of Green Gables. But obviously, it has to do with animated movies. This is uh, these are awards that are given out by the Los Angeles branch of the International Animated Film Association. And the idea originally was we're going to give awards for these lifetime contributions in uh, the field of animation. Right. So, for instance, Max Fleischer and Dave Fleischer, who created Popeye and Olive Oil and Betty Boop, they they got an award, a lifetime achievement award. And there are lifetime achievement Oscars. But never really – the animation department might not get the recognition that they deserve, which is why in years past we've started seeing the introduction of best animated feature, right? Right. There was a time even before that though where I think the only animated movie that I can think of that was nominated for best picture was Beauty and the Beast Mm -hmm. back when there were only five best picture nominees, right? But now it's got its own dedicated category – and even then, since then, we've had a couple of animated movies that have still been nominated for Best Picture. I think of Toy Story 3 and Up. And uh, in 1992 is when they started awarding these Annie Awards to individual animated features. So it became more like the Oscars where you have more categories. Right. Um, and the uh, the the trophy is actually shaped like a, a zoetrope. You know, those things like in the, the Greatest Showman, he makes one for his daughters where you have this spinning spinning thing where there's this animated thing inside oh, and that's with, Yeah, it looks like a little animated is. scene, right? Okay, cool. And so it was it was uh first presented in nineteen seventy three and uh the guy that created Woody Woodpecker got one of them. Is that that'd be Walter Lenz, right? If I'm remembering. Whoa. Correct. Is that look at you, okay. that's right. Wow. I remember yes. watching Woody Woodpecker when I was a young little boy. Very yeah. Young. Yes. So if the Oscar is not considered the greatest honor for winning best animated feature, then certainly an Annie would be the next well, best thing, right? And, and you know what? I just looked at what these look like. They win the award for coolest looking award. Those are very <laughs> Very nice. It really is cool. I yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's battery operated if the top part rotates, but that's another story. Yeah. So uh here are some of the categories that you would that you'll see at the Annie Awards Best Animated Feature, just like the Oscars. Best general audience animated production. So 
I guess, rated G movies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, best TV production for children and some others. Let's talk about some of the animated films for this previous year, which, again, we said we're not going to mention it by number. But uh, for best animated feature, you've got Onward, you've got Soul, The Croods, A New Age, which I actually enjoyed more than I thought I would. I Uh went in with zero expectations. The Willoughby's and Trolls World Tour, neither of which I cared for. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yep. I am would probably have to go with Soul out of all of those, and Me I'm too. thinking that's the one that's likely to win the Academy Award as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. It, I, I think Pixar, once again, is going to be up on that stage. Oh, yeah. But then there's also a category for Best Indie Feature. And Sean the Sheep, Rod, you know that anything that comes out of Ardman Studios, I love. This is the studio that that gave us Wallace and Gromit and all of these Sean the Sheep TV shows and movies. And this one is Sean the Sheep Farmageddon, which you can actually watch on Netflix. My kids love Sean the Sheep. And I love shows like this, like Mr. Bean or Sean the Sheep, where – you really don't need any dialogue, and so the comedy is universal, yeah, right? Anybody really in any country can watch Shaun the Sheep and love and enjoy it. Yes, so. definitely. I really enjoy Ardman and uh, and the work that they do. I, I'm a bit of a budget guy in my job. I'm, I'm, I'm a producer, and I would love to see their budgets because it takes them so long oh, yeah. and so many hours to make a movie. I guess what they've got going for them is there's a lot fewer people than there would be on a regular film or even on a regular animation. But it literally takes them years that yes. it takes them to get that done. It so, seems like uh, such a tedious task to, okay, push your thumb into that yeah. piece of clay. Yeah. Uh, now take a picture. All right, now change the shape again. Oh, wait, wait, we've got to worry about our lighting. Can we get the lighting right on this shot? And then from a business standpoint, you think, you know, you're starting that, and you've got to look maybe four or five years down the road. When your movie's going to release, who knows what'll be happening? I mean, for all we know, there could be a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) And then then you release your movie. And then on top of that, some of these have started introducing elements of special effects, too. Mm -hmm. So you got to get, oh, let's get the digital effects guy in here, you know. Lots and lots and yeah, lots of work. They don't incredible. get it. They don't get the credit that they deserve. Yeah. However, uh, Wallace and Gromit: The Curse of the Were Rabbit <laughs> is an Academy Award winning film. Mm-hmm. It took the award that year, so thankfully that movie got the recognition that it yeah. that it deserved. But there are a lot of other movies that have really just swept the Annies and have gotten so many nominations. And there are some record holders here that Avery has made us aware of. The top. Uh, the record here for with 16 nominations is shared by two, three films I, I'm seeing here. The Incredibles, Kung Fu Panda, and Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Then we've got other big nominated movies like How to Train Your Dragon and The Iron Giant, which we may or may not be talking about here in a little bit. And then Inside Out with 14 nominations. Now, there are some other entities that have scored the most nominations of any other animated entity or franchise. Now, I want to make clear, though, these are Annie Award nominations, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, good, good. So Mickey Mouse has 34 nominations, and I'm a little surprised that Mickey Mouse has fewer nominations 
than The Simpsons at 48. Yeah, but how many Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse, Mouse is, cartoons were there compared to The Simpsons just hit 700? That Isn't is that true, amazing? but Mickey Mouse has been along has been around for longer than The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. But uh Simpsons of course, yeah, they get plenty of recognition though. You know with this Godzilla movie we were talking about earlier, just imagine Mickey versus Homer. I could see that. Mm. I could see that pulling in millions of dollars. But anyhow, I digress. Now, wait oh, a minute. But, and wait a minute. I'm Disney seeing a through owns. line. Yes. There's a through line with, oh my gosh. with Fox and yes. The Simpsons, Mickey Mouse, yes. Pixar. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, no. I see. Yeah, the Annie a... Awards. Of, the, Disney's got the Annie Awards in their pockets, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that's yeah. probably we're going to see a repeat win by Disney Pixar at the Oscars, too, this year, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we we wanted to give you kind of the history of the Annie Awards and what are some of the types of categories that go into that award ceremony, not only because we wanted to help recognize these wonderful animated movies that take so long and there's so much passion behind these movies, not to say that there's no passion behind the movies nominated for Oscars, but uh, you can't tell me that, you know, Shaun the Sheep wasn't as, you know, you can't tell me that Nomadland was as difficult to make as Shaun the Sheep. <laughs> anyway, that's just my Different personal opinion. But, yeah. but uh, we want to take an opportunity to share a few of our favorite animated movies. And if not our favorites, then some of the, the most influential and impactful animated movies that have come out over the years as, you know, the special effects have improved and as the styles of animation have branched out. And we will do that when we return after a short break here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, the show where we shine a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And the spotlight that we are shining here today on the show is on animation, and in particular, the Annie Awards, which is a ceremony that celebrates achievements in animated film and TV. And uh, I'm lucky to be joined here on the show today by Rod Gustafson. Rod, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here with such an animated character such as you. Uh, uh. Uh And uh, before the break, we were talking about the history of the Annie Awards, which is coming up this weekend as well as the the different categories of animated films and TV shows that are being honored this year and in years past. And now we thought we would take some time to talk about some of the most influential animated films in recent years. Not, you know, we're not going back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs by any means, uh, but we're also, I, I, I will say for me personally, these aren't necessarily my favorite animated movies of all time, but I'll, I'll share my experience watching these movies and discovering them and why I felt they were so influential and why I want to continue to revisit them because they're just so amazing. And then, Rod, you'll be sharing some animated TV shows that have had an impact in the world of animation as well. And I I understand you're going to be going back a little farther than I am. So why don't we talk about a couple of animated TV specials 
that have really been influential, and to this day, people mm. still watch all these years later. Well, I hate to admit this, but in 1965, I do recall <laughs> sitting at my grandmother's house in front of her black and white TV and watching Charlie Brown Christmas for the first time. Why would you hate to admit that? that? I would love to have broadcast. seen it when it was first broadcast. <laughs> And that was really cool. I always really, as a really little kid, I remember liking Charlie Brown. But Charlie Brown Christmas, of course, has endured over the, not over only over the years, over the decades, as being one of the most popular um, animations, not even just animations, one of the most popular shows is the go-to for many families that still want to watch it. And as I've looked at that animation over the years, it really is a work of art, all these hand-drawn cells. And yeah. and uh, I don't know but if you if you know this, but the people that put that together, Bill Mendelssohn and then uh, Vince Giraldi, who does the score, like it, they were trying to pull the money together to figure out how to do this. I believe they pitched the idea, I think it was to CBS, saying that they're going to do this. They gave them the concept. They said, sure, go make it. They didn't have very much time to make it. And then that was the result, was getting this together. And, and before it was a big smash, I mean, it, it almost all came to a screeching halt because they did not want to air something that was going to mm-hmm. dare talk about Christ during yes. Christmas. Yes. Even way back yes. then, Even it way was back controversial. Then. You're right. There was controversy about that, whether this was going to be too religious. Of course, really, the big, the most poignant moment of this movie is when Linus gets on stage and starts quoting scripture yeah. and starts telling the, the Christmas story in like 90 seconds. But that was a big deal even back then. Charles Schultz stuck to his guns. He did. And it did. paid off in a big he way. Did. What I really... Some of the things, just a couple of things I really love about this little animation is, first of all, you can tell Schultz grew up in Minnesota. Being a Canadian, <laughs> I have seen far too many movies where supposedly it's wintertime. You're thinking that's not winter. It looks like winter. When they go out looking for that Christmas tree that night, <laughs> I remember going with my parents. My fingers are freezing off while we pick out a tree. That's what it was like. The other thing that that movie did for me or that little TV special did for me, I love jazz music. And it all started <laughs> with that little the jazzy version and of Vince's, Oh Christmas Tree. Oh, and Vince yeah. Giraldi's trio doing that music. Oh, it's just incredible. So, yeah. So that one. And then the next year, not to be outdone by these guys who made Charlie Brown, we got The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Now, was it really the very next year? It was, 1966. Yes, yes. Two classics back yeah, to back. Back to back. And this one was, what's interesting about this is it was directed and produced by Chuck Jones and Theodore I know Geisel. Geisel. Geisel, Geisel, that's what I thought, who, of course, was the creator of Dr. Seuss. Who is Chuck Jones? Well, if you love Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, (laughs) Merry Melodies as much as I do, Chuck Jones was key in those cartoons for many, many years. And so there's a real Chuck Jones feel to The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Can't say I really like that one. For some reason, it never rang with me like Charlie Brown, even though I love Chuck Jones's other work. But yeah, so those two animations have endured for a long, long time. Boris Karloff was yes. the narrator slash the Grinch. Uh-huh, yes. And that, I mean, that is the ultimate version of 
the Grinch. I would venture to say, well, I don't want to go out on that limb, but certainly people revere it over Jim Carrey's iteration oh, yes. and Benedict Cumberbatch's yes. version yes. of it. Yeah, and there is it just is so sweet. And Dr. Seuss, even though it it, it uh, adds a little bit from the book, those additions were by Dr. Seuss himself. So it's in good hands because it's in Dr. Seuss's hands the whole time. And The Grinch was never intended to be, you know, 100 minutes long. That little animation is the perfect length. And that's the problem because they... These things were intended for little kids, and you know I still don't have an attention span that's 100 minutes long. <laughs> so those are a couple of, of revered TV animated specials. Let's talk about some of our favorite or th- the ones that we see most influential animated films that have come out over recent years. I want to talk about another form of animation. This is stop-motion animation. And it's kind of similar to claymation that they have these little puppets, these little characters mm-hmm. that it's really tedious work because they're, you know, they're taking a picture. Then they're yep. moving the character around and they're taking more pictures. The lighting's got to be right. But this is a movie that the production design for the movie is quite stunning and colorful and twisted and dark. And it is a movie from 2009 called Coraline. Mm-hmm. And if you – you're definitely familiar with Coraline. Oh, and it yes. sends chills down your spine, I bet. Don't read my review, Jeff. But yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Coraline is from 2009, a year where the animated movies that came out – there was some stiff competition for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. It went – ended up going to Up that mm-hmm. year, rightly right. so, because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But uh, Coraline was directed by Henry Selleck, who, if you're not familiar with that name, you've certainly seen another one of his stop animated movies, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Which was not directed by Tim Burton, as some people assume, but it was actually directed by Henry Selleck. And here, this movie, you know, whereas The Nightmare Before Christmas was maybe a little macabre, uh, but also had some catchy songs in it, Mm -hmm. this movie's not a musical and it's not it's not really macabre as much as it is dark and twisted and scary, right? Right. So it's not like that cute kind of scary. No. It's the scary kind of scary. Yeah. So I would not <laughs> categorize this as a children's animated film. But that shouldn't deter you from seeing this movie. Well, I got in trouble earlier on in the show for saying I show my kids Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> what I meant to say is if you're an adult, don't. Say to yourself, oh, this is an animated feature. It's for kids. It's not for me. No, this is a movie with a wonderful premise with this about this girl who is ignored by her boring parents and uh, they've moved into this new home and she likes to get into mischief because there's absolutely nothing to do in this new home that she's moved into until she finds this tiny little door that uh, leads her to this alternate universe, if you will where she meets an alternate version of her mother and an alternate version of her father. she's Her mother is referred to as her other mother. And there's something a little off about her other mother because instead of eyes, she has these buttons, buttons. where her eyes should be. And she's so nice and she's so warm and welcoming to Coraline. She says, stay as long as you want. You don't ever have to go back to that other home if you don't want to. Here's all this delicious food. You can eat as much as you want. I'll tuck you in. I'll sing you a song. 
And uh, so she kind of goes back and forth and obviously prefers this other mother and this other world that she's found. But uh, things start to get a little creepier. And there's a bargain from her other mother that she can stay in this other place as long as she wants. The catch is you have to give me your eyes and I'm going to sew these buttons where your eyes should be. Yeah, that would send me screaming for the hills. And, uh, yeah, it sends Coraline screaming for the hills, but is she too late to escape the clutches of this other mother? This movie is a sight to behold. Like I said, the production design is beautiful. It's colorful. It's twisted. It's dark. And the story is is really – you need – in order to have a good animated film, it's not enough to just have wonderful animation. You need to have a good, solid story to keep you there. And boy, does Coraline have it in spades. That is one that really took me off guard and uh, caught me by surprise. And I love it to this day. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to give it another shot, Jeff. (laughs) I walked out of the theater from that screening and thinking, okay, who's this movie for? Will adults (laughs) like it? Will kids like it? It's too scary for kids. People who love animation will love this movie. That is very true. And what you say about it technically is amazing. Yeah. It really is. So what are some of the more influential animated films for you, Rod? Well, you know, for me, I'm glad you said at the beginning of this, this isn't necessarily our favorites because I have such a hard time picking favorites. But I picked some that... Really, I guess maybe they're a little sentimental for me because I remember the the impact they had not only on me but on my children and my wife and us as a family at the time. But So anyhow, I'm, I'm going to do a double play on one, Prince of Egypt and Joseph King of Dreams. Both of these, you know, back ah, in the yeah. stellar days of DreamWorks animation when, uh, you know, you could really see the hand of Spielberg and Katzenberg in this. And uh, these were just incredible. You look at the cast list of... Um, of Prince of Egypt, you know, Val Kilmer and Ralph Fiennes and Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, Patrick Stewart, Steve Martin, Martin Short. Like, gosh, what a what a cast! And these <laughs> films were just incredible. Now, of course, Prince of Egypt and Joseph King of Dreams. I think I should have looked this up. I think Prince of Egypt was hand drawn. I'm not so sure about Joseph King of Dreams. There was some, certainly some computer work in there. there. Yeah, yeah, computer yeah. animation, especially yeah. when, when he's Pharaoh, parting the Red Seas. Yes, and, yes. And when Pharaoh and the soldiers are coming over the hill and all that stuff, you can tell that there's some computer work, early animation computer work going on there. But, but the, primarily a 2D animated film, yes, right? Yes, and the scores. Oh, the music from those two movies are, they are examples of scores that I go on and listen to on their own, which I think we talked about a little bit last week. Um, so just wonderful. So yeah, and then you want another one, Jeff? Should we well, just, let me, you go, let's let me get one out of the way. I want to hear yours Yeah, next. I'll get yes. one out of the way that is not going to come as a surprise to anybody. You, Everybody knows about Brad Bird's The Incredibles, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. But I, there was a period of my life where I hadn't seen movies in a long time, and this was one of the first movies that I had seen in maybe a year or two, right? And this film, again, I'm going to go back to what I said a little earlier, that it, for a good – for an animated movie to be good, you really need to have a story with characters that you care about or at least that you're interested in, right? And this movie has both. Not only is the animation incredible, but this is a solid story that, again, if Coraline's not necessarily a kid's movie, I wouldn't necessarily categorize The Incredibles as a 
as a superhero movie. Right. It's a family movie first. Right. And it just so happens that this family is a family of superheroes, right? Yes. Yes. The dad obviously has super strength. The mom is, you know, elastic girl. She can stretch into all sorts of shapes and objects. Her, their son is super fast and their daughter is super invisible and has this force field. But anyway, so not only does it have characters and a story that you care about and a wonderful, wonderful villain voiced by Jason Lee, but the animation is unlike anything I had ever seen at the time. Mm-hmm. The scene where all four of the, the this family of superheroes is running away from these these minions that are shooting at him and trying to kill these little kids, which is pretty dark for a, an animated kids movie, right? Yep. I could not believe what I was seeing because animation had had just made so many advances at this point that I just wasn't prepared for the level of detail and quality that I was seeing. So Incredibles has got to be one of the more influential animated movies for me in recent years anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Probably it's in my top three Pixar movies. Just wonderful and some just some great lines in there. One of my favorite lines that I just was quoting about two days ago was, I shouldn't tell you this. I shouldn't tell you that if you go to the floor three, to the third floor and ask for a so-and-so and tell them. Oh, <laughs> like I Bob love... Parr when he's in the, uh, when he gets that insurance job, just kills oh, me. Yeah. I know it's not the action sequence, but... For me, it's just like, oh, yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> For me, it's Jason Lee who's uh, who starts monologuing, as they call it in the movie. He's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, wait a minute. You got me monologuing yeah. there. Yes, I right? know. And, you know, I hate to admit this is a film reviewer. It wasn't until I watched The Incredibles I thought, they're right. They all monologue. <laughs> it just changed every other movie I no saw. No capes. No yeah. capes. No capes. See, oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, um, Edna Mode. Yes. Edna Mode, I tell you. Voiced I, I by had, Brad Bird. Yes, voiced by Brad Bird. And just she was just down to a T. And I met a New York fashion designer one day. <laughs> it's a long story how I met her. She walked into the room. She was about five foot tall. And she started talking like Edna Mode. I thought she was joking. Oh, and my And then goodness. I realized, okay, I don't have much experience with New York fashion designers. <laughs> Anyhow, That's love that funny. movie. Yeah. Yeah. They just nailed that film. So thank you. Now, one for me that, uh, that our families loved for years, but only the first one because it turned into a franchise and just went downhill from there. But Ice Age, the original Ice huh. Age. I just really enjoy that film. I enjoy the characters that they bring into it. And uh, Ray Romano and Jack Black, uh, Dennis Leary in there. And uh, it, just some... It's really got some great humor that works really, really well. One of our favorite lines from that movie, there goes our last female. (laughs) And and this one, in the muddy hot tub, he's not much to look at, but it's so hard to find the family man these days. And then the other person on the other side says, tell me about it. All the sensitive ones get eaten. And that's, of course, that moment when, um, oh, my gosh, what is his name? Ray Romano? No. John Leguizamo. Uh, the the oh gosh guys oh the Sorry, little squirrel too. yes yes no, not the squirrel not the one that opens up I can't believe I can't remember his name because Dennis my son Leary does the best in my. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's, John, that's John Leguizamo. Thank you. Yes, Leguizamo. okay. Couldn't remember who voiced him. My son just does a perfect, uh, uh, perfect impression of him. <laughs> but Sid the Sloth for me just makes that movie and uh, some great lines in there. And also, you know, for a movie you want to share with your family, it's got some really good messages too about 
Learning to get along with people who want to eat you. <laughs> that is a good uh, a good life lesson. It is. I don't know that I want to go run and uh, be friends with a shark or anything, but uh, I'll yeah. go watch Jaws. That'll be my support of a, of a shark. <laughs> there you go. Um, I'm going to stick with the same animator slash film director, but I'm going to go with a different type of animation. Uh-huh. And I don't think... 2D animation these days is given enough credit, although I would venture to say that purists of the genre would argue that that 2D animation is the pure form of animation, right? And it is a shame that we don't see very many 2D animated films these days. It seems to take so much more time, and so all these different studios are kind of moving in the direction – they've already moved in the direction of computer animated films – but it's just it's just such a labor of love, kind of like mm-hmm. claymation or stop stop motion animation. Uh, so I appreciate when every once in a while a 2D animated movie comes out. And another virtue that I see in the in the field of 2D animation is that it doesn't age. So you look at a movie. You mentioned mm-hmm. Ice Age. Going back and watching that now, my kids the other night requested Hoodwinked. Which I I, I like the movie. It's enjoyable. It's funny. But it's kind of painful to go back and watch because the animation has not dated well. It's it's just so dated. It has not aged well, I should say. Mm -hmm. But when you watch a 2D animated movie, it still holds up. Mm -hmm. The type, the the quality of the animation still holds up. And even back then, they were kind of using, you know, they were having humans kind of model the behavior so that they could watch them while they were animating the film, right? So I guess I should stop blabbing on and mention what the movie is that I've been talking about this whole time. I might know, but go for it, Jeff. Brad Bird's The Iron, Iron Giant. Giant. Yes. Brad yes. Bird has been in the animation industry for a long time because he was involved way back when The Simpsons were in their heyday, right? Mm-hmm. So he started to venture off and do his own things, and The Iron Giant is one of the examples of, of something he did on his own. He also did... He did an episode of an anthology series. I'm really going to date myself, and I, I'll see if you know what I'm talking about, Rod. Do you remember there was an old anthology series, speaking of Steven Spielberg, called Amazing Stories? Oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah. this was a unique segment of that anthology series because it was animated. Right. It was The entire episode was animated. By Brad Bird. It was acclaimed, nominated for all these Emmys. I think it may have even won one. Mm -hmm. But then it even – it was so popular that they branched off – it spun off into its own animated series that was short-lived. But Brad Bird has – yeah, that's – those are kind of – that's kind of early Brad Bird. And Iron Giant, this is like late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I think late 90s. Also a great voice cast with Jennifer Aniston and mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. and Christopher McDonald, who if you don't know him, he's Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. But uh, this is just, again, on the surface, yeah, this is a movie about this iron giant. He's this superhero. No, no. It's a movie about this relationship between this unlikely uh, pairing of a little boy and this Iron Giant. Yeah. And it's a really sweet relationship. He's this Hogarth has this he's got this uh single mother and he happens to stumble upon this government project in the form of this Iron Giant. So Christopher McDonald, you know, this Weasley government 
agent guy that comes in and tries to figure out where this iron giant is hiding. So, of course, he's inserting himself into Hogarth's life because he knows that Hogarth knows a thing or two about where to find this iron giant. And the the friendship that they develop is just so sweet. And I'm not afraid to say that – I'm not embarrassed to say that – I get close to shedding a tear at the end of this movie. Absolutely. And, you know, they're <laughs> speaking of people that make a career of doing the same thing, Brad Bird animation, Vin Diesel has made a career for himself of driving fast cars and playing characters that only say one word, right? <laughs> and so and he was uh he was Groot in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise and in The Iron Giant, he voices the Iron Giant. And he only knows a word or two. And the word that he says when he says it at this climactic scene in this movie can get you to cry. So Vin Diesel, whatever you're doing with those, you know, one word characters, you're doing something right. Yeah. And this is a sweet movie to enjoy with your kids, although it might seem a little heavy at times for your yeah, kids. But it really is a powerful film. It has been years since I've watched it. And you bringing it up is making me, I need to go dust off that DVD and put it in the player room. <laughs> no laser. I guess laser disc, disc wasn't yeah, really around sorry. by this time. But. <laughs> it, was, it was on its way out. But I remember just really being blown away by the film. Yeah. And that really put Brad Bird on the map ready to head into Pixar and make the huge contributions that he did. So, all right. So here's one for me that's a little bit peculiar again, but this is one that my kids fell in love with and has continued to be one that we, in fact, my 30-year-old daughter watched it just not long ago, and that is Totoro. And this is by, of course, this was one of the early films by Hayao Miyazaki. And I know I always... If I ever meet this this wonderful artist, I need to apologize for how many times I've misspelled his name. From Studio Ghibli in Japan. And Totoro is this amazing story of these this family in Japan. And you come into it like the original one wasn't very clear. I need to explain. Disney has now bought most of the merchandising and licensing rights for Studio Ghibli in at least in the United States and Man, Canada. What don't they own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not very much. My house, they haven't bought it yet. And <laughs> but so, you have enough Disney Disney movies in your home to maybe <laughs> they maybe they kind of do. There you go. Maybe they do. So it, this is the story. So let me back up for again for a moment there. Disney re-released this film in, I think, the late 2000s, redubbed with Dakota and Elle Fanning doing oh. the voices of the two sisters. But when it first released, it basically came straight from Japan with an English dub by, I can't even remember the name of the voice artist. They're probably people that are relatively unknown. And uh, it's this lovely story of this Japanese family that moves to the countryside but the mother is in the hospital, and it's a bit of a period story. And to this day, I'm not really too sure if she has polio or what's going on. But anyhow, so the father and the two girls move to this country house in Japan. And these two girls start exploring the house and exploring the yard. And they find these little creatures that they call sprites that are like dust little bunnies fairies with or, legs, yeah. you know, like they're these little black things. And it's just mildly scary when they first find these mm. things. But 
What I love about this movie is you can tell the people who made this movie had kids, loved kids, and knew what kids liked doing. Yeah. Because these are some of the most realistic children you'd see in an animation. And they are adorable and it just pulls you in. And the other cool thing about this movie is the Japanese rural culture that you see that is so rarely ever depicted in our movies here at least and the characters that come into that the art the music and then we eventually meet this big adorable lovable thing i don't know how else to describe it called totoro and uh and it has a i, I know this sounds like a movie on drugs it has this <laughs> bus that looks like a cat that the characters can ride inside of. And it's all about children's imagination and a little sprinkling of fantasy. Just an amazing, amazing film. Well, we've had a fantastic time talking about animated films and animated television here on Screen Cleaning today. And, of course, shining a spotlight on the Annie Awards, which is something that is happening this weekend. You can, if it's not telecast, at least you should be able to check out who the winners are. My money's going to be on Pixar's Soul. How about you, Rod? Yep, uh, that is the one for me, too. That's my pick from this year for animation. We want to give a big shout-out, a big thank you to Avery Otzbach, our assistant producer, for putting together the research on this show and helping us find some of these wonderfully animated films. And we're so grateful we got to talk about the different forms of animation. And our hat is off to anyone who works in the animation industry. And those Annies and those Oscars are certainly well-deserved. Big thank you to Rod Gustafson for being with us here again on Screen Cleaning. Rod, we'll have to have you back. Well, thank you. Anytime, Jeff. And we'll be back next week here on Screen Cleaning to give you the very best in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson, and we'll see you then.